Thank you for listening to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit guyswhodostuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that. All right. Well, welcome to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. I'm Joe. And I'm Josh. And this is the show where we help you get unstuck, tell a better story, and have a good answer to the question, what are you doing today? And today, our guest, very excited to have. Very special guest today. John Rufty. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Good to be here. I got a little bit of bio on you, and I want to fill people in in case they don't know who you are. This is some of the stuff I found online about John Rufty, our guest here today. The forefather of green building in North Carolina, responsible for the Energy Star structure in our state, in cooperation with North Carolina Power and Light, now Duke Energy Progress. In 2002, he built the first NC Fortified Safer Living Home, a member of the exclusive National Board of Home Builders, the Builder 20 Club, and a longtime Cary resident with a passion for integrity. So, it started just by telling us a little bit about you and your company. Yeah, I don't know how far to go back. I was raised in Salisbury, came to NC State in 73. I absolutely loved it. And I got out and decided I just wanted to stay in the area. My first job was with what now is CarQuest. And well, I guess it's not even CarQuest anymore. It's Advanced Auto. And did that for uh, multiple years. Got into computer systems integration. Mm. Did that for multiple years. And about 31 years ago, started a construction company focused on upper-end custom homes and how do you do construction and just do it better? And fortunately, the right concept at the right time, being in Raleigh, North Carolina, has just kind of made it easier just because of the growth that we've gone through. So it's just been, again, it's been a fun ride. Do you <clears throat> see those three fields as related? Because for me, it seems like cars, IT, <clears throat> home building don't seem so related. But did you find similarities between them? Uh, between the last two, yes. The thing that I learned in the car industry uh, working for uh, CarQuest is that was an industry that very much, if you wanted to grow, you had to steal business. There was just not a lot of natural growth going on. So mm. I wanted to move into something that, that had a lot of growth potential. Yeah, That was back in computers when they were just starting to explode. Mm. And there are a lot of similarities between home building and computers. I worked for uh, systems integration for major corporations, for the military, and you'd go into meetings with high-end executives, and they would describe a problem. You then would disappear with systems engineers, develop a solution for that problem, and you would go present it. And, man, if they said, yes, they want to go with it, now you had to create something that had never been created before. So at the end of the day, it comes down to listening, being creative, and standing behind what you said you were going to do. And that's a little bit similar to <clears throat> the process you guys are doing with home builders right now. I saw online that... You're a great client for you or a typical client or an average client or maybe just a good chunk of your clients are people who are building their last home. They know what they want. This is the one that they're going to live in for the rest of their life. And so they have a very specific set of what they want to see, the quality level they want to see. So does it feel like that pitch when you get to go make the plan up and show it to the client? Oh, it is very much the same. Yeah. And you've, you've got to be a good listener and everybody knows what they want emotionally. But when you add all the numbers up, you get to a cost point that is just unrealistic, no matter what your budget is. So we do a very good job of helping people understand what you're asking for and what yeah. the associated budget is and, and bring those two in line. You said everybody knows what they want emotionally. How do you kind of help get that out of people? Well, when you ask the question, what would you like? That assumes everything is free. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yes. it, you know, it really, it's, it's a hard way to start. But our whole industry is built around that. So surprisingly, the more expensive 
the house is going to be and someone is willing to spend, the bigger the gap between what they want to spend and emotionally what they say they want. Yeah. So the education process is pretty steep at that point. You've been <clears> in <throat> business for how many years? Uh, 31. And do you know roughly how many houses you built? Surprisingly, I do not. 150, 200 maybe. Yeah. Wow, that's a, that's a big yeah. number. That's yeah. A- you know, we'll do five to eight a year, I guess, traditionally. Mm-hmm. Right now, we have the opportunity to be building a lot more, but it's never been harder to control quality in today's environment. Our marketplace just does not have the number of skilled subcontractors that you need. And so what happens is the subs that are out there, they're overcommitting, and people we've depended upon for years and have a great track record with, they come and they do a halfway job because they have to get to the next job because the other builders are, and homeowners are saying, where are you, where are you? Yeah. So then we get them back. They do a halfway job correcting the halfway job they did in the beginning. So instead of coming back twice or maybe three times, we have subs that are coming back six, seven, and eight times to a job. And so controlling quality, we really mm-hmm. have to be there. And that's one thing that's different for us is that our project managers will oversee one, maybe two homes. So if you want to control quality, you got to be there. But why do you think the <laughs> subs, because I've heard this from a lot of people in, in your industry, <clears throat> is it just that we're building so much in the triangle that we just we're outpacing the subs? We just need more people to jump into that field? When the economy took a hit in 08, a lot of people changed industries, changed careers. They went to manufacturing, warehousing, or logistics. And when the when the economy came back, they had a steady job, and they just didn't want to take the ups and downs that came with the construction industry. Hmm. It's not the trade schools that we've had in the past or other countries have. If you're out there listening and wondering, man, what's a great place to get involved right now? Think about the trades. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone with a good skill set can, can do very well. As a small company, you're hesitant to turn away business. Mm-hmm. So the subcontractors are, are definitely overcommitting to what they can do. And I would not be surprised at the end of the day, if they look back, their business have doubled, but their net profit has actually gone down. Mm. It's a challenging industry right now. Yeah, it is. When you were in IT, were you working for somebody else? <laughs> so you're like a salaried employee? Yes. And so what was going on at that time where you're like, you know what, I'm going to start my own business. I had always been interested in construction in high school in Salisbury. And so when I was in the computer industry, it was very good to me financially. And one of my college buddies uh, had a construction company, needed some money. And so I helped back him on some things. We did well enough that he no longer needed my funding. So I went out and I hired a um, project manager and I was going to build one special house a year and just stay in the computer industry. Yeah. Very quickly, the way that I ran things more professionally than the industry it was being run back then. A lot of the executives saw how I did business and just wanted that company to ramp up faster. So I had to make a decision. And I went with my heart and just felt if you could get out there and do a good job and stand behind what you're doing, that the market would be there. Have you always had that desire to build something unique and something that stands apart? Yeah, some of that came from literally being in the computer industry. In the computer industry, if you don't reinvent yourself every six months, you just get left behind. So I wanted to do something um, special from day one. The first house that we ever built was built in McGregor West, and it was one of the most expensive homes in Wake County at that point. It was about 365000 Yeah. What's a project scale that you're working on now for comparison? 
On the custom side, we were very much in the one and a half to four and a half. And we've got one that we're working on now that can probably be 12 million plus. Wow. Is there any part of the process that you enjoy the most with working with your home buyers? The entire process is fun. You start off with the design. A lot of people walk in the office, they say, I really don't know what I want. I've seen you take my friends through the process. We would like for you to build our home. And we sit down and really understand them and their lifestyle and the environment they want to raise their family, the environment they want to entertain family and friends, and what are their hobbies, and how do we incorporate all that into something special for them. You know, if they do a lot of traveling around the world, what are some of the architectures that they've enjoyed and some of the features? So backing up a little bit, when you decided to start the company, why do you build homes? I've always enjoyed homes. And even when I was not in the home building industry, we would ride around looking at homes. And a, a joke within the family is my, my daughter, you know, she'd be sleeping. We'd be riding around. She'd wake up and she'd, she'd look out the window and say, are we looking at homes? I don't like looking at homes. Are we looking? You know, so, so again, I would go into homes and just thought I could do a better job. And a lot of that just comes down to listening and responding to the, um, to the homeowner. Yeah. One thing I find very impressive is you've been doing this for such a long time. And they say the numbers on small businesses that fail are so astronomically high. What do you think were some of the, the keys to your success? Did you have mentors? I think a lot of companies fail either because they overextend or they really don't enjoy what they're doing. I was able to live within my means, save within the company. And if you don't love it, you're not going to put in the 50, 60, 70 hours a week that a small business takes. And even today, you know, many, many, many weeks, you know, I'm looking at 60, 70 hours. But when you love what you do, it's really not working. Yeah. So, yes, you spread it out over six days and you work hard, but you also then can take time off and and spend enjoyable time traveling or with friends or or going and doing things. What do you like to do when, when you're <clears throat> off? Um, heavily involved in NC State, everything from working with students on campus and, and seeing that culture and how education has changed so much. Really enjoy traveling with friends and family. Do you have a favorite food? Probably Italian. Ah, I <laughs> knew a, it. Yeah, knew it's it. good Italian food and wine. It's just It's just hard to beat. Yeah, it's hardy. Especially yeah. now in the winter. Yeah. I'm so glad it's starting to not be so hot out here. <laughs> I know, right? Finally get to wear a sweater and a jacket. Oh, it's been brutal yeah. this year. Yeah. What do you think are some of the the most critical skill that business owners today need to succeed? Do you see like big changes in your industry that that you would maybe do things differently if it were now, or are the are the principles pretty much the same? Uh, good question. You're going to grow and learn, or at some point you're going to die. And just like the computer industry, every six months, we just have to get better. And better can be defined lots of different ways. It's it's skill set, it's human relations, it's understanding the new technologies that are coming. Our industry is also, there are so many new products that are coming out. We don't want to be on the bleeding edge of a, of a new product that turns out to, to not have the capabilities or the durability that yeah. it says going in. So, so we're very, very cautious about those. Mm-hmm. Have you products okay. like that that you <clears throat> feel like you got burned on when they came out? Um, the one that really burned us was synthetic stucco. 
Synthetic stucco. I don't even remember hearing about that. Sounds like a band. Exactly. <laughs> like a very bad college band. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, synthetic <laughs> stucco. Yeah. <laughs> that was a product that had done very well out west and was moved east. And it's an exterior cladding product that's just like stucco, but it's synthetic in that it's got, you'd wrap the house with foam and then stucco on top of the foam. The problem that the industry had is we did not realize that building materials, windows in particular, roof valleys where they come together, would allow moisture to get behind the stucco and therefore have excessive rot very quickly. Hmm. And since then, North Carolina has banned that product, but we had built 16 homes using that product. So here you are with some of your not, uh, best friends now sitting down in their family room saying you absolutely have to take legal action against me because that's what triggers my insurance. Fortunately, wow. we went through that with every client. Every client came out good. Every client appreciated the approach that we took. As soon as we heard about the problem, it started in Wilmington, North Carolina, where they discovered it. And we were very proactive, sent out letters saying, you know, we're hearing about problems outside of our area. We're monitoring it or just going to keep you updated. And at the end of the day, you know, we had to take that action. Yeah. One of the things you've mentioned a couple of times already is just the amount of time. <laughs> if you love it, that really helps. And uh, But it takes a lot of work to build a business and it takes a lot of effort. Are there any, are there any actions that you feel that you've done regularly that have contributed to your success? Without a doubt, what has contributed to my success are hiring people, getting the right people on the team around you and not being concerned or fearful of hiring people with much higher skill sets than you have yourself. I really admire that approach and I believe that it works. And I got to hire a couple of people at my previous position. And I think I learned even in the short time I was there, I was there for about eight years, that that's kind of the key to success in hiring is you can't be afraid to hire somebody much better than you. Exactly. Because that's how you get better as a company. But I think so many hiring managers, probably not the HR team, the HR team probably knows better, but a lot of hiring managers are probably just a little insecure about like, what if they're better than me? Or well, and if you've got a small, a small company with the owner and I know a lot of people will say, well, it's your company, you can do what you want. And the problem with that is if you have rules and regulations within the company, I, if anybody have to follow the rules and regulations Yeah, and it doesn't matter that I own it or not, those are rules that I have set up. Mm-hmm. And there are just a lot of owners that if they hire somebody with very high skill sets, very strong personalities, that creates a clash. And for me, it's not a clash because I just want what's best for the, for the company. This show is produced at Podcast Carry, a professional studio making podcasting simple and fun. Located in Vive Coworking in Cary, North Carolina. Want to start a podcast to create great content for your business and establish yourself as a thought leader in your city? Go to podcastcarry.com, connect with your audience, grow your brand. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about Refty Home Culture. I hate to say it's a culture because it's just the core beliefs that just go down to the individuals and that first and foremost, everybody deserves respect. I don't, you know, if the guy sweeping the floor is not doing it, then the rest of the job stays messy, which allows other workers to feel like they can be messy. So um, growing up in a small town, you just, you just learn to respect everybody 
in their skill set. And you learn to acknowledge that everybody has strengths and weaknesses and not to have the same expectation for everybody. I think as a team, we understand each other's strengths and weaknesses and and we try to protect that person on the downside, just like I have strengths and weaknesses. I get involved in too many things. And so I need my company and those individuals around me to help me in that respect. And likewise, we will help them on things that, that we know is, is on their weaker side. I hope this changes, but right now the average turnaround for a job is crazy small. I think it's a year and a half is what the tenure at a job is. My wife works with a gentleman that has been where he's worked for 20 plus years. And I wonder if this kind of loyalty to one thing is dying off and what that's going to mean for, for culture. Because are we going to have that same kind of legacy? What's that going to look like for us? From your experience, has it been like a great sense of joy to, been, to be able to focus on one thing for so long and dedicated to one thing? Well, again, I get involved in too many different things. So, <laughs> so it doesn't feel like one ex- thing? Exactly. <laughs> but following the, the train of thought that you have, I think that a lot of companies take their employees for granted. And it is critical that I create an environment that people can achieve their personal goals and they have an obligation to their families that if they can do better and I'm not creating that environment, they need to go other places. Yeah. And I recognize that. We just had one of our long-term employees get their master's. And, and within a small company, we just don't have a lot of upward mobility. So she told me she was going to be out looking. We, we helped her in that, that stage. And again, that's what she needed to do right. for her family. On our side, our industry also has lots and lots of turnover. I pride ourselves in creating an environment that people do want to work for. And we have multiple, multiple of our employees that have been with us 10 to 15 years and several that have been with us 20 years, which within this industry is just unheard of again. Yeah. <clears throat> you, you mentioned that you have a, your industry has a high turnover rate. What do you think are the contributing factors to a high turnover rate in home building? Is it the hours? Is it the complexity of the job? Some of it is that. It's also that our industry goes through ups and downs. And so uh, a yeah. lot of companies that are taking advantage of the good times right now, they're greatly expanding their company. As soon as the economy starts to slow, they will yeah. they will be letting people go as they as they downsize. Do you think we're at the approach of another downturn? I don't see that really happening in the triangle. The triangle is positioned just so well in today's economy with all the graduates we have coming out of the local schools, the talent pool. When you consider the universities here in the triangle, when you consider Wake Tech with their the skill sets that they're providing, we're putting about 25,000 students a year in, into the economy with the high skill sets. Yeah. So skill sets around the world, that's one of the things that is a, is a lacking resource. Yeah. I was just getting <clears throat> here uh, to the triangle, so I didn't live through the downturn, the 2008, <clears throat> 2009 time. I grew up in Michigan, so I'm certainly familiar with what the amount of foreclosures and uh, everything that was happening brutal. With, Absolutely brutal. with my family and, and everybody from up there at the time I was in at the time I was in Mississippi and, but I do remember thinking when we came here looking at houses and this was like a guy who'd really didn't know much about it, but it seemed like the area wasn't as affected as the rest of the country with the last downturn. We were not, we were not hit as hard and we definitely came back faster. And some of that was, if you go back 30 years ago, you know, our economy was not business driven. It was state government universities mm-hmm. and some medical 
medical is today not anything like it was back then. Today, we've grown on top of that with pharmaceutical, biopharma, and all the research that's coming out of the three major research universities. It's the number of, of individual companies, both privately owned and major corporations, is night and day difference than it was yeah. 30 years ago. During the downturn, we had a staff that I did not want to let go. And so to survive, we said, okay, we've got this overhead of people with skill sets. How do, how do we make it through it? And at that point, teamed up with uh, Stephen Peden, who had been on the commercial side about 28 years. And we started a commercial company, and that company's called Rufty Peden. And we also started... Oh, I've uh, seen your signs. So that's still a very active company, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's going very active. Got a little bit more involved in what I would call semi-custom homes. Okay. And uh, we've always been good at doing renovations. So we just put more emphasis on that. Yeah. So those are our four core businesses right now. Okay. And Tell me more about the semi-custom <clears throat> homes. You hear stories about like bargain basement, rent or special. There's got to be some room to really improve that market. What do you guys do with semi-custom homes? Yeah, semi-custom is where we try to take the latest ideas, but we use readily available labor and materials to hit a certain price point. So when you get into custom, to me, what would be ultra-custom it's kind of like, well, what do you want? And if, if you need to go to, we've had clients that want things from overseas, significantly from overseas. So one of our clients, we brought in 28 container loads of hand-cut stone from India. Oh, wow. And it's, you know, it's people getting on the internet and finding anything and everything that's not readily available in North Carolina. Sure. And so... That's that's kind of the differentiation. Is now, that, when you hear like a kind of a strange request, does that kind of excite you? Like, oh, I can't wait to work with all that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the learning curve is significant. Sure, and because you have to you have to troubleshoot what is the source, what's the cost, are they going to be here to stand behind the product yeah. when there's a problem? Because there's always going to be a problem with something. When there's a problem, how do we get through that problem? Yeah, and so it's always balancing. How do you use unique things and put the, put them together for the client. Yeah. So you've been in the commercial side for a long time. I'd love to ask your opinion on this. <clears> I read a study recently. Did you know that Amazon is now 49% of shopping? No. Just period. Oh. Just shopping. Amazon now controls 49% of buying things, not buying things online, buying things. Mm. So you see all these box stores that were staples when we were young, right. having a very hard time competing with Amazon. And I don't know what all what's going to happen to all these box stores. I mean, we can only have so many churches. Exactly. <laughs> like, what yeah. do you think is going to happen with all this property and all this land? Well, you've got sticks and bricks, all the malls in the area. Right. Uh, a lot of them, if either they're wildly successful or they're significantly struggling. It's yeah. hard to be anywhere between. right. And what's so <laughs> unfair for um, small companies is that people will come in, they'll shop in your store and they'll touch it, feel it, size it up, yep. make their choice. But instead of buying it at the store, Guilty. they now go home. I've done it. Look up, look it up <laughs> on the internet and buy off the internet because the yeah. price will be a little bit less because you don't have the cost structure of having that physical facility. Right. It'd be cool if we could do that with dating. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think about it. I've actually done that very thing like at Barnes and Noble. I went to Barnes and Noble, got me a nice cup of coffee, enjoyed the experience of the store, found the book I wanted, read the first chapter, bought it on Amazon. You evil. <laughs> and then, evil, then went home. Man. It's like 30% cheaper. It's hard to compete. Yeah. 
And I've read, uh, I've read a study about how they're, or Bezos said it all the time, like they're happy to operate at a loss so that they can basically get more market. Who said right. that? Bezos. That's kind mm-hmm. of been their whole structure. They'll operate at a loss for as long as they need to because they can win. They can, they can win the war of attrition. <laughs> and then right. when it's time, there's this one story. I saw it on a, on a, like a comedy show, like a Netflix type comedy show. So I don't know. It's hardly journalism, but it was essentially about a company called diapers.com and how Amazon was selling diapers to try and outprice diapers.com. And they just basically undercut them. And I guess lost like $4.5 million over the course of a year underselling them. And then when diapers.com went on a business, they bought them at a song. Which is just hard to hear. It's hard yep. to be like, it's and hard then, to like Amazon after a story like that, you know? And then their prices go up. Right. And so the consumer ends up paying more. Mm-hmm. And with, all the stores now, less. to kind of combat what you were saying, like Best Buy does price quotes, right? So if you go show price them what match. it is on Amazon, right? Right. Which is why Amazon has Amazon Basic, because nobody can match their product, which is going to be cheaper. Mm-hmm. So like if you want to buy a cable or you want to buy something standard, nobody's going to be able to compete with the Amazon Basic proprietary thing. Yeah. That's kind of their deal. But 49% of shopping and going up. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So we got all these stores. I hate stores. to say that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it certainly is convenient. And I think all of us would be like, oh, that's, I don't know if I like that, but I sure do like buying stuff on Prime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, don't not I, mean? li- I don't not like it enough to do something about it. Yep. You order it. A couple mm-hmm. days later, it just shows up. I can tell you one thing. They need mm-hmm. to slow down those trucks in the neighborhoods, especially on Sunday morning and Sunday. And it's like, why are you driving like a bat out of hell through my neighborhood? <laughs> they probably the got a lot of deliveries. Uh, they do. That's yeah. the thing, but that's going to cause some problems. Yeah. And the drones are coming too, I think. The delivery drones. You think that'll ever happen? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I see it happening. So what style, what, style, what style house is home for you, John? You want to come home to a beach feeling, a mountain feeling? What's your What's your style? Um, Right now, I'm in the process of renovating a home, and it's more of a, a cozy style. Ooh. It's understated. It's a basic house that would look like it was built in the 50s. And when you get in there, it's open and airy and bright. And there's a, it's, it has a center courtyard with a fireplace and outdoor cooking that you need to do for your friends and family. Do you have HGTV playing on loop? And do you, Are you a Chip and Joanna Gaines fan or any certain home remodeling fan? Or uh, I'm not. What they show, it just gets our industry in trouble because they'll go in and they'll renovate an entire house in a week. And what they don't show you is they spend a million and a half dollars behind the scenes getting everything prepped so that they can do it in in a week and a half. They're setting an unrealistic (laughs) expectation for people. Like, why is my house done? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. Then they have that giant photograph they pull to the side and the reveal. reveal. Yeah. I remember, though, when that show was on Extreme Home Makeover with Ty Pennington, they did a great job emotionally telling the story of that show. Like, yeah. it was a heartwarming show because they would always find people that could really appreciate the safety and stability that a nice home could provide, and they told the story well. And it was fun to watch. Yeah. It's, it's and, always fun to watch. And I know there were so many people in need that they did great things for, and it's, it's sad to hear that once the houses were fully renovated— the people could, a lot of the individuals could no longer afford to live in them because the tax rate for their house went up so high, they couldn't afford the taxes. What's your favorite beach in North Carolina? I like the Wilmington area just because two hours door to door. Yeah. The weekends are a precious time. You know, I love the bald head. Kiowa is fabulous. Moorhead, if you're fishing, is fabulous. But the time is precious enough that Wilmington makes it easy for me. Right on. How do you define success? Success is the ability to stay in business, have happy clients, 
and have minimal turnover with your staff. That there's so many opportunities for other people to go to work other places that yeah. if you're not if you're not keeping them happy, they can't keep your clients happy. Do you think so, when you were starting out, you would have been that crystal clear and that's those three things? Or do you think you learned that over time? That's always been very important to me. I'm sure I would have articulated it differently. At one point, you would say, well, you've got to be financially successful. Well, you have to put the company first financially because if the company is not successful financially, it cannot protect any of the workers. And you have to put the company ahead of yourself because, again, if a lot of business owners will take money out too fast, they'll starve the company. Therefore, the company dies. All the employees have to go somewhere else. So that is absolute crystal clear Mm. to me and has been from day one. You didn't say the word patience. Has it been a slow and steady growth for Ruffy Homes or has it been um, like an ocean? It ebbs and flows. It does ebb and flow because of the economy. Probably it took about three years to get comfortable that the demand was out there. That is the average answer, by the way, Josh. Everybody says like anywhere between two to three years. Yeah. 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 And then because the economy goes up and down, our industry still cycles quite strongly. And it's easy for a company to grow too fast. I'm in a very capital intensive industry. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of individuals that will take on too much debt. And I think a high, high percentage of my peers had too much debt in 08, 09, and 10. Yeah. And that's where we lost, God, I don't know, 60% of the companies, 50% of the companies maybe went out of business. Correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of like the rules changed, right? It was kind of like everybody else was doing this thing where they would have overextended. But, oh, absolutely. But they could afford <clears throat> to do it because that was the way business was happening. And then there was a bit of a regulatory jolt in the economy and it was like, nope, you can't do it that way. And it just caught a lot of people off guard, huh? It it did. And the industry was trying to work its way through it. I was on the founding board of a local bank. Back then it was Crescent Bank. And so I was feeling the pressure within my personal company. I was seeing it with the, the companies that had loans with the banks. One bank in particular came in and called all the loans and or they would refinance, but you had to pay 50% of it down. And what happened at that point is anybody that had a liquidity in the bank and money to be paying multiple banks, this one bank wanted all their money. Hmm. And so that's what threw this marketplace into total chaos. Yeah, I can say that a lot of, a lot of builders, I was surprised how they handled that. But if I hire somebody, I tell them I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay you there's just an obligation to pay that person and you pay them on time. So many companies at that point would make a informed decision to have somebody come do major work on Monday, knowing that Friday they were filing for bankruptcy. And so mm. the, the whole industry just got turned upside down Yeah, as people were just fighting to save it. It's kind of one of those human nature things. <laughs> it's under pressure that we find out who we really are. You know, like yeah, when, exactly. that's where the rubber hits the road. And then you're like, oh, yeah. I didn't know I was that kind of person, but I, I guess I'm not paying people. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it surprised them as much as it did. <laughs> as it did you. It's like, I would never do that. Oh, wait. Ooh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so um, talking about that, that slow growth approach to, to business, I would guess that there are things that you did, strategies that you put into place that just by applying them daily paid off in compounding interests. We've always stood up to our obligations. Yeah. And so 
that reputation, that acknowledgement within the industry has just benefited us greatly. Yeah. Because we do make mistakes. All companies make mistakes. And when, when that happens, or you can stand behind it or you're not. Right. And that even goes back to the, my computer days. You know, you're designing a system, putting together components for the first right. time. Okay, what happens? Computers are like houses. When you first turn them on, they just don't work right. So are you going to stay there and do whatever it takes? And that's what we do. Yeah. The, um, if you could, do you know the movie Back to the Future? Yes. If you could borrow the DeLorean and you could travel back to the future to the day that you decided to start Rufty Homes and you had 60 seconds to talk to yourself, what would you tell yourself? Go for it. Boy, it's scary when you've got a good income, you've, you're in a great industry, you work with great people to, to step out, to believe in yourself, but there's a difference between believing in yourself and, and totally jumping off the diving board. Yeah. And were you a jumping off the diving board decision? I eased into it. At that point, I was on straight commissions mm-hmm. and I was totally upfront with the company I was working with. And as long as I kept producing what they needed me to produce, they were happy. Right. And um, that's when I'd hired a um, full-time project manager and just spent a lot of nights and weekends putting together the company. Yeah. But yes, I did have some transition time. Yeah. How did you know that it was time to kind of burn the ships and go full-time? You're following a vision and a passion. And gosh, I think I can make this work. Yeah. There, there are no guarantees in life. And even when you fail, there are lessons that you need to slow down and recognize and move forward. So, you know, have we failed at things? Yes. And you just chalk it up and do it better next time. So having been involved in, in a lot of different areas of construction in the triangle for the last 20, 30 years, what are some of the trends that you're seeing that you're excited about? And what are some of the things that you're concerned about when you look at like the amount of development that's happening in the triangle? One, I'm just excited living in the triangle. It's hard to live in the triangle and not be excited about it. We're always building something. Yeah, (laughs) You know, what's happening with the companies, what's happening at the universities, Mm -hmm. at the medical centers, everything is just so exciting. You you go out to these small towns. When I first moved to Cary, it was less than 10,000 people. Really? So What's it at now? 180,000. 180,000. So you see all those things and just on a daily basis, it it really is truly exciting. The, the, The frustrating thing is how our region is not stepping up to the table for planned growth of when you look at any region. And yeah. probably the thing that comes to my mind the most is mass transit. Mass transit is not the ultimate solution, but it should be a major solution. And what I say by that, they're, they're always tossing up, well, it never pays for itself. But if you go to the areas that, that have mass transit or light rail, we'll take Charlotte because it's here in North Carolina, If you look at Charlotte before it put in the light rail and you look at it today, the fees, I'm sure, come nowhere close to to paying for its daily operation. But when you look at everywhere they put in a station, the real estate values that happen within a half a mile or a quarter of a mile of that station, overwhelmingly, the real estate taxes pay for it. Now, with the high density that's out there, it's easier for a society to fire, police, trash, everything else. It's easier to manage that in a high-density environment. But if, if you don't support roads now, people will say, well, I'll put in, in a bus route. Nobody will invest on a bus route because next year it's going to change. Yeah. 
And so it's not a physical location, hmm. like a transit hub. Exactly. You, you're not thinking, oh, they're going to move that like they do right. bus routes. <laughs> yeah. So again, mass transit, the outside business world, individuals will pay for that over time. And government just cannot pay for all the infrastructure that's needed. Mm-hmm. And when you have a bus route and other things, you're looking at government and government only yeah. for those. Yeah, it seems like any area that grows really fast always has a problem with infrastructure. Yeah. Well, John, it has been fantastic talking to you. We're so grateful that you came on the show and shared with us about what you have learned over the years. And I hope it's been useful to our audience. I know it's been useful to me. John, you're like, you know, we have rock and roll stars. We have celebrity chefs. You are, to me, a celebrity builder. You're like a rock star. I appreciate it. You got it. I've had a good opportunity to see some of your stuff and be be in and around it and know some people who live in those homes, and they are truly magnificent. And we are all... Yeah. Um, our lives are made better because of you. So thank you. Yeah. We yeah. wish you continued success. Joe, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And the, um, man, I love it. Every day is fun. And I just wish everybody could go, have an experience like that on a daily basis. Yeah. Well, us too. You guys have a great day. Thanks for listening. To the future. Yep. Thank to you. The future. Back to the future. We love making this stuff for you. You can help us out by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Get unstuck. Tell a better story and have a good answer to the question. What are you doing today?